Hey there, listeners. Welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Brian. I'm on the phone with Ashvin, and we are talking about Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 2022. Directed by David Blue Garcia, written by Chris Thomas Devlin, Fede Alvarez, and Rodo Sayagues, starring Elsie Fisher, Sarah Yarkin, Mark Burnham, and Alwyn Fuere. And in this direct sequel to 1974's The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, some idealistic, idealistic youngsters try to revitalize a rundown Texas town, only to have their plans shattered by a long, dormant, yet surprisingly spry, Leatherface. <laughs> if you're new to the show, we're going to have a spoiler-free discussion for the first 15 or 20 minutes, but once we take a break and play some transition music, it's time to duck out and go watch this movie, because at that point, we will have a spoiler-filled plot rundown, and we will review the film. Uh, can you believe it's been nearly 50 years since the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Ashwin? That's insane. Uh, so the original one was 70s, right? Yeah, 1974. So we're only two years away from its 50th anniversary. That's incredible. Wow. And uh, since then, you probably have the count of like the number of uh, fran- oh, yeah, number of installments that have come out on this franchise. Yeah, yeah. There are nine films. Okay, so nine films over 50 years, uh- including this one. Yeah, so it might be a good time for me to run through those. There's The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Ridge, in 1974. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, which we've also covered on the show. Uh, we covered both of those. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 was from 1986, so there was a 12-year delay there. The third installment was Leatherface, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 from 1990. Then there was Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation from 1995. In 2003, there was a reboot from Platinum Dunes titled The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We covered that as well on the show. Right. Then there was a prequel to that Platinum Dunes remake in 2006, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Beginning. And Texas Chainsaw 3D was in 2013. That's a direct sequel to the original 1974 film from what I understand. There's Leatherface in 2017, which is a prequel to the 1974 film, and now Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is a sequel to the 1974 film. But I read an interview where uh, Fede Alvarez said it's kind of just in the same continuity of the original sequels. Like, in his mind, the events of Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 could have very well happened between this movie and 1974. Sure, yeah, from a timeline perspective. Yeah, yep. Makes sense. So it's kind of a messy franchise in terms of the timelines, but that seems to be the norm these days. And how many of these films have you seen? Oh, I think every one I've seen I've watched with you, so... Okay, so uh, like three This makes four. I think we've seen four of the nine. Sure, including this one, four. That makes sense. Yeah, right. Yep. So yeah, I, uh... From what I've heard, this is one of the weaker franchises in the horror realm, but it'll be interesting to go through and see uh, and to talk about that in our review and and add up what we thought of each of the movies that we have seen so far. Sure. Yeah, I know. I, I feel like this one always gets the shaft when it comes to like the big franchises, uh, and I'm, I'm not quite sure why, because I, I feel like from the start, Leatherface has been a pretty imposing presence, uh, almost like the caliber of like a Michael Myers. Um, like, why, why do you think this franchise has struggled compared to the other ones? I'm not totally sure, but from what I've heard, the chatter on our Discord server is that most of these movies don't 
have much value to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like you either love or hate Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. And most people think the remake is pretty good, the 2003 Platinum Dunes remake. But other than that, I haven't heard many good things said. Kind of like uh, with Nightmare on Elm Street. Sounds similar. No, not at all, man. Everyone <laughs> loves Nightmare on Elm Street but you. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, um, I, I agree. David Blue Garcia, the director here, has only directed one other feature film. It was a thriller called Tejano. Mm-hmm. Uh, but otherwise, it sounds like he directs and shoots a lot of commercials, and he has some other feature film work as a cinematographer. And in fact, in 2011, he won an Emmy for his, an Emmy. <laughs> <laughs> he may have won some enemies. Yeah, he won an Emmy for his camera work on the NBC Iron Man World Championship. Oh, cool, cool. That's awesome. So this movie is definitely the most like high visibility project he's directed. Sure. Yeah. Wow. Good for him. Yeah, and cool. uh, Roto and Fede are kind of a, a little partnership. Uh, Roto directed and co-produced Don't Breathe 2, and he and Fede co-wrote Don't Breathe, and they both co-wrote Evil Dead 2013. Yeah, that's awesome. I think we liked uh, that Evil Dead, right? That 2013 one? We did. We liked Evil Dead 2013, and I we've never discussed Don't Breathe on the show, but I think we both like that as well. Yeah. Yeah, I was excited to see his name attached to this. I, I think he's like the most recognizable name uh, in in the production here, right? Yes, and um, Evil Dead twenty thirteen is known for being really grisly and dark and intense, and you saw a lot of that here too. Yeah, definitely, definitely, a lot of overlap. I didn't realize until the end of the film when the credits ran that the role of Lila was played by Elsie Fisher from Eighth Grade. <laughs> eighth Grade, the movie. Yeah, did oh, you ever I, see that? No, I never saw the movie. I remember reading about it. Um, oh, so did did you recognize her from that? I didn't at all. She she I probably should have, but I just, then I saw the name in the credits, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, uh, she's also going to be in the film adaptation of My Best Friend's Exorcism on the novel, the adaptation of the novel by Grady Hendrix. Oh, cool! When does that come out? I don't know. I don't. I think it's in like pre-production phase still. Okay, cool. I like that story a lot. That was a fun book. That was a fun book. So I'm excited for that movie. Yeah. Uh, other recognizable faces to horror fans might be Alwyn Fuere, um, who plays the. Well, I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah. <laughs> She's in this, but she was in Mandy. And Sarah Yarkin, who plays Melody, was in Happy Death Day to You. And finally, the old woman in the house that used to be an orphanage is played by Alice Kriege, who is the witch in Gretel and Hansel. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I've seen a lot of hate on, like, <laughs> for this movie so far. Yeah. Uh, and the Rotten Tomato score kind of coincides with that. It's got a 29% from critics and 37% from users. Mm-hmm. And it's, it sounds like uh, it was planned for a theater release, but they, they pivoted and put it on Netflix because of like the audience viewership. Is that the impression you got? That is the rumor I heard. I didn't necessarily see that confirmed anywhere that, hey, audience testing was bad, and then we decided to just do... Netflix. Like, yeah. I read that they did audience testing, they planned a theatrical, then they pivoted to Netflix. I didn't know if the two were related, if mm. one caused the other or not. Yeah. Okay. Okay. 
Um, but yeah, so they released this on Netflix on February 18th this year. Yeah. Uh, another familiar name, the score was done by Colin Stetson, who scored Hereditary. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. And he also scored Color Out of Space, which I still need to see. Yeah, I haven't seen that either. Yeah. Uh, score, score definitely uh, jumped out, though. Yes, indeed. And I, I mentioned this in the Hereditary episode, I'm sure, as well, but I actually have a Colin Stetson album. Oh, cool. Um, I haven't listened to much of his other work, but it's this weird, like, jazzy, dark, mm. ambient-type music. It's a, it's a cool album. I yeah, would encourage yeah. anybody to go check out his music. Okay. Yeah, I think I, I remember you describing that one. Sounds familiar. Yeah, from what I understand, he's a master of the saxophone, and a lot of the noises you hear in his music you assume are a guitar or some other instrument, but it's just him doing something weird on a saxophone. That's incredible. Oh, man. I got, I got to look up a video of that. That sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah. I should, too. Mm-hmm. Um, the narration at the beginning of the film was done again by John Larroquette, who narrated the opening sequence to the 1974 film. Mm-hmm. And even though this looks like Texas, uh, this was filmed in Bulgaria. Yeah, I thought that was wild. That is wild. Uh, but David, people will take comfort in knowing that David Blue Garcia is a Texan. Oh, okay. Great. <laughs> yeah. uh, anything else background-wise on this movie before we get into the Ohio connection? Uh, I mean, even though the Rotten Tomato score is so low, it does seem like it's doing pretty well on Netflix. It's been in like the top 10 for the last few days. So I'm, I'm sure the viewership numbers are good. I, I don't imagine like we can access those numbers, right? Or you haven't seen no, those I mean you can you can like find out what their best of the month is or like how stuff are doing how stuff is doing in articles, but I haven't ever found like just raw data on yeah. their stuff. Right, right. Um, the other thing is, it looks like this was directed by two other individuals for a while, and then um, it kind of like switched course because people didn't like the direction it was going in. Um, so that, that I don't know if that like uh, plays into like the final product at all, but. Um, it's always interesting to see a movie like uh, get pulled away from the people who are making it um, to be handed to someone else. That is interesting. Yeah, from what I read, the studio saw the like first images of what the other directors had filmed, and they were like, "Nah, <laughs> we'll pass on that and hire mm-hmm. somebody else." Yeah, right, right. So I don't know. I don't know the full story there. Yep. Yeah, me neither. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I think you covered everything else. Cool. Yeah, and I've heard a lot of. It, I try to avoid Twitter lately, but I've seen a couple be- people be like, well, what, if, what were people expecting from this movie? So yeah. the movie has its defenders, so uh, we'll, we'll find out what side we land on pretty soon. Sure. One question for you before we dive into this movie, uh, thinking about that original one, um, the theme of urban versus rural, I know we've talked about, what, what do you, you have a term for that, right? Um, yeah, we talk, we, we slapped the term hillbilly horror onto uh, it. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about, oh, urbanoia was a term that, um, Carol J. Clover used in her book, <laughs> Men, Women, and Chainsaws. Okay. Got it. Did you have that Urbanoia first... is probably a more appropriate term. <laughs> okay. Did you have the first film pegged as like an urbanoia, uh, example or hillbilly horror? Yes. Okay. And there are underlying themes in the first one of a rundown economy in that area of Texas because the family worked at a meat packing plant that had since closed down. 
True, true. I don't remember, though, the main characters, like those teenagers that stumbled upon that house, being like city dwellers. I don't, I don't know if that part was clear to me, and so I never really tied it to like urban versus rural, but um, was that the case? Were they like from a big city or something? I think you can get the urban versus rural conflict without the characters having to be from the big city. Sure. As long as they're from somewhere that's not the sticks. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I think that was kind of implied, but it wasn't... uh, Everything with the original was pretty under the surface, like low-key in terms of any symbolism or themes to me. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, I think it was very subtle in that one. Right. Um, yeah, so those those guys were probably from a suburb, probably a Starbucks or so, at least. Um, Maybe, but, yeah, for sure. 1974's version of Starbucks. Yeah, totally. McDonald's. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it was back then. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, Which is still kind of a version of Starbucks. It is, yeah. I think they're, they're for every Starbucks, there's at least a McDonald's out there. That's true. Um, yeah, no, that, that, was, that was the only thing I was wondering compared to the first film. Um, oh, and then this trend around, um, you know, yeah, the last movie we just reviewed, new film, was uh, Scream, which I think was, we, you know, we talked about whether it was a reboot or a sequel, uh, kind of, you know, not really a reboot there. This one, you think, is solidly a sequel, right? That's a good question. I didn't read too much about any planned sequels to this. It mm. is a sequel, but it's hard not to call anything new that's far away from the year the original was released. Sure. It's hard not to call that some sort of reboot. or It's definitely not a remake, but... Yeah, not a remake. Yeah, I'd say it's a straight-up sequel. Okay, cool. I don't anticipate um, a sequel to this really playing off of where this one left off. Hmm. Okay. But who knows? Who knows, man? Yeah. One thing with with sequels, uh, like the Halloween sequels, we never get into like the age of Michael Myers. But I feel like with this one, it is actually talked about that Leatherface, the the villain in this one, uh, must be like in his sixties or seventies, right? In in this film. Yeah, there are a lot of similarities between this and the way Halloween has revamped their franchise within the past three years. Mm, and okay. the age is no different. I mean, Michael Myers, they don't explicitly say his age, I don't think, but it's, you know, he's visibly old, and so is uh, Leatherface mm. in this one. Oh, yeah, you're right. We do see Michael uh some of the new ones, yeah. Yeah, that, that's crazy that you have these, like, aged uh, villains, uh, senior citizens that are still yeah. like, quite powerful. <laughs> and both this and Halloween 2018 flirt with showing you the the bad guy's face, whose face we normally don't see. I, I right. can't speak to the other half of the franchise we haven't seen, but um, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. like they're showing you just enough to be like, oh, that's a human, but we don't see the full face. Yeah, unfettered. Exactly, exactly. Just enough. Mm-hmm. Very interesting moves. Yeah. All right. Yeah. No, that, that's all I had. Okay. Well, um, our Ohio connection is done, as always, by our friend Alex, who connects every movie we watch to our home state of Ohio for us. Alex owns the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio, so if you're in the area, swing by for food and drink. And Alex says, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a 2022 slasher film. The film is a sequel to The Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the ninth installment of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise. 
Longtime TV actor John Larroquette reprises his role as the film's narrator, having provided voiceover for the original film and its 2003 remake. Oh, I forgot about that. Mm. Larroquette is known for his award-winning roles on Night Court, The John Larroquette Show, and The Practice. Additionally, throughout the 80s and 90s, he was a popular guest on late-night TV shows, including The Late Show with David Letterman. David Letterman owns the production company Worldwide Pants, which produced his late-night show, Everybody Loves Raymond, Foo Fighters, Sonic Highways, and the short-lived comedy drama series Ed, about a hotshot New York attorney who moves to his hometown to revive an old-school bowling alley. This show takes place in the fictional town of Stuckyville, and parts of the opening title sequence were filmed in my hometown of Chagrin Falls, Ohio. That's awesome. That's wow. Alex speaking there, of course. That's his hometown. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah, that's a few connections. It's good. Speaking of Foo Fighters, man, you know they have a horror movie coming out soon? Oh, I've heard rumors about that. What's the deal? Is it like a zombie movie or something? Um, I can't remember all the details, but it comes out. We're recording this on February 23rd, and it comes out February 25th, so... Cool. I guess tomorrow night they'll probably be late night showings. Do you know like what platform that's going to be on? Uh, I think it's theatrical. Oh wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah, those guys have been like just doing the craziest projects. I think they put out like a disco album uh, a year or two ago. Um, just yeah, really getting getting loose. I guess. I don't really like keep up with the Foo Fighters. Their music's good, not great to me. But yeah. I think Dave Grohl seems like a pretty cool dude to me. Yeah, pretty cool, pretty talented. I mean, he went from like being a drummer to like the front man for like one of the biggest rock bands now. I mean, it's pretty pretty impressive. Yeah, agreed. Respect. Yeah. Uh, okay, man. Well, uh, let's start to spoil stuff and run through the plot and then review the film. But before we do that, I want to crack this beer open, but I just realized it's not a twist off. Can you hang on a sec while I go upstairs to get a bottle opener? Oh, sure. Sounds good. All right, I'll, I'll be right back. All right. Okay, man, I'm back. Man, that cool. did not go as expected. Oh, man, what happened? So I tripped trying to get out of my podcasting closet and broke my arm, and the bone <laughs> popped right out of my skin. Oh, man. Did you stab yourself with that bone? Well, the good news is I saved myself the trip upstairs because I used the bone to just pop this bottle cap oh, right off. And dude, that's awesome. I'm ready to drink this beer and keep going. <laughs> Great uh, DIY tip. If you don't have a bottle opener, just crack it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> When in need. Yeah, use your bones. <laughs> <laughs> One trick my wife does is she will push, if we don't have a wine cork, she'll push a chapstick down through the cork and, like, pop the cork into the bottle. Where does the chapstick go? Does that also go into the bottle? No, I mean, you got to hold on tight to the chapstick. But Oh, okay. It's uh, a little awkward to pour the wine with the cork in the bottle, but... In a pinch, it works. Yeah, yeah. That's better than, like, half the time when I use a corkscrew. I feel like parts of the cork end up in the wine anyway. That, that's, like, the worst. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, you need to get better at that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a whole other thing. But maybe, maybe I'll just start <laughs> using a chapstick for now, and that, that's a great tip. There you go. Okay, this movie begins with a group of young adults traveling to a small, nearly abandoned town called Harlow, Texas, where they plan to revitalize the town. 
Melody and Dante are entrepreneurs planning to start a restaurant and sell some of the town's commercial real estate to other young entrepreneurs. And they are along with Melody and da- uh, Melody, who's Dante's girlfriend. No, sorry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> along with Melody and Dante are Dante's girlfriend Ruth and Melody's sister Lila. Fiance Ruth, right? Oh, are they they oh good for them. <laughs> yeah, I think I think he makes a point of like being like this is my fiance or something at some point. Okay, gotcha. I missed that. Uh on the way there they have an encounter with a gruff looking Texan with a gun on his waist and Melody makes a comment about how he has a gun to comment uh compensate for his small penis. Um and this is an impetus to reveal Melody and Lila's sensitivity to guns as we learn that Lila is the survivor of a high school shooting and she's got a bullet wound on her shoulder. Mm-hmm. Once we get into town, we learn that this gruff Texan is actually their contractor, Richter, who's helping them work on some of these buildings that they purchased. So that's awkward, of course. <laughs> And they've got a busload of investors and entrepreneurs coming soon to see how the town looks. But unfortunately, there's a Confederate flag on one of the buildings, which is a bad look. And Dante enters the building to try to pull the flag down from an upstairs window when we learn that this building is occupied by an old woman named Ginny who insists she's still got the title to this place, even though Dante and Melody insist that they bought it from the bank because Ginny defaulted on her payments. We also learned that there's a giant man who lives in this uh, old house uh, that used to be an orphanage upstairs. Um, And the kids get the police to come escort Jenny off of her property. But in the scuffle, she has a heart attack. And the giant man boy upstairs accompanies her in the police van as she's taken to the hospital. As does Ruth for some ridiculous reason. The group (laughs) feels responsible for this woman's heart attack. I'm not sure how sending Ruth along with her to the hospital is going to help anything, but that is what they do. That made no sense to me. Like, why did she have to go to the get in the car with the policeman and go to the hospital? That logic uh, is not this movie's strong suit. It really isn't. This is the beginning of the fall of the logic. Uh, <laughs> what would you think of this intro to uh, Leatherface? Like, I, I feel like he was so like casually introduced as like just this dude in the background that like no one's really paying attention to. You know. I guess it was all right. It was kind of subtle, um, about the only subtle thing about this movie. <laughs> but I also did it thought <laughs> a lot of this movie just really had some 2018 Halloween ripoff tendencies to it. Hmm. Like there's a picture of him as well as some other orphanage kids, but his face is obscured by a shatter in the glass of the picture. Like... He's up at the top of the steps. You see a silhouette, but you don't really see his face. It's just, I don't know. It gave me a very Halloween 2018 vibe. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I was also surprised. It's like there's this dude there. No one's, like, freaking out about him. He's just, like, in the background. Uh, You can't, like, get a clear read on him or see him clearly. But you know that's, like, Leatherface. So uh, it's a really interesting dynamic. I I thought that was kind of cool because it's playing with the viewers. And obviously, like, the, the people on site or in the scene aren't, like, that scared by him at this point. I mean, they're, they're kind of put off, I guess, but it's it's kind of like showing a different version of him before he gets all menacing. Yeah, and I mean, this takes place in a world where the Texas Chainsaw Massacre did happen, so right. everyone <laughs> in this area knows who Leatherface is. It just he was never found. Yeah, so right, right. the fact that he's been living upstairs <laughs> with this woman for all these years is 
I don't know. Possible, <laughs> I guess. I Maybe sure. a little hard to believe. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Uh, what uh, would you make of like? There's a lot of like loaded social commentary up front here. Almost like every interaction is like something charged with, uh, uh, you know, current events. What, what did you think of all this? Did you welcome it? Happy to see it? I thought it was really clunky and over the top and in your face mm-hmm. and messy and maybe even like kind of racist itself. Interesting. Uh, what did you think? Uh, yeah, I thought it was it was way overhanded and like not delivered in a smart way at all, and too like condensed into like these uh, like fifteen twenty minutes of like every interaction has to be like uh, a moment that's talking about like the cultural differences. Um, it was cool the gentrification angle, but yeah, I, I just feel like it wasn't like smartly done at all. Um, but yeah, w- w- when you say racist, which which part are you talking about? Like you're talking about uh, how like the woman treated Dante or like the Confederate flag or how they were treating the townspeople. Yeah, yeah, the woman and the Confederate flag and Richter, like, she goes into this explanation, I can't remember, yeah, I guess she does it here, like, defending the flag and how she's not racist and yeah, that's not what the flag means. Um, and then later, Richter gets on this big ladder and goes up and tears the Confederate flag down and then shoves it into Dante's chest. Yeah. Dante is black, by the way, and she shoves it into his chest and is like, here's your flag. Right. And... It's just like, what are we trying to say here? Like, yeah, I guess I understand humanizing every side into today's political debate, but this is a little over the top and misinformed and left a bad taste in my mouth. Also, it was just like really poor writing and uh, <laughs> like we talked about in... Uh, what movie we did we just talk about where we like oh Halloween Kills like just not the franchise for this to me like, yeah yeah I was really I'm, I'm fine with political commentary in movies but weave right. it in smoothly and <laughs> maybe don't put it in a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie or if you do have it buried deep like the commentary yeah. in the original yeah that that's what made me think about the original because the original was so subtle when it came to this and uh, here it's so like blatant on the top kind of like a main subject line for this opening um, but you know I, I, I did kind of like it there, there, there was like a sense of it that felt real that like as this uh, black dude who's like bought a town in Texas how he's like nervous when the police pull him over or when um, this guy's like bringing down the confederate flag I mean there's kind of like clear friction here which I think is like pretty real but I think it could have been portrayed a lot smarter or more subtly, I, I, I would hope. Um, it did feel like a little cheap in terms of how they showed that. Well, and it was also like a black guy gentrifying a white neighborhood. Yeah, right. So, which I mean, yeah. I don't know. I guess that, I, <laughs> I don't know, that just yeah. feels clunky to me. I, I like that because it was also almost like generational gentrification. Cause all, sure, all the that times, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so much of gentrification is about like rich people moving into poor neighborhoods, and and that's exactly what like like when when uh, this uh, this girl walks out of the gas station, the guy calls her like a gentrification fucker, a gentrifucker or something. Uh, yeah. the, the gas station guys. So yeah, I mean, th- these guys are coming. They're gentrifying uh, a small town in uh, Texas. So I, th- I think that's a lot of the part of the setup, and it's just like not who who we generally think of when we think about gentrifiers, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, in this movie's defense, yeah, that totally happens. Like, especially where I lived in Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, and I lived there most of the past decade. And yeah, the gentrification was pushing um, 
lower middle class white people out of the area because right. they, they couldn't afford their rent anymore. So, yeah, um, yeah I guess it's good to show that this happens um, mm-hmm. on both sides of the race uh, debate and uh, that it happens to people that we might be demonizing in our society right now and yeah. our, I say our society, perhaps in our leftist bubble right now we demonize this type of people and right. I think it's good to humanize them. Yeah. The yeah. way that this was done was really clunky to me, though. Sure. Yeah. I, I agree. I agree. Like, it wasn't, like, done in a smart way. It was very over-the-top, uh, like, in your face, on the nose. Um, yeah. But, yeah, that, that, that's a good point. Because, like, even uh, the the main guy in, like, that first interaction, interaction about his gun, like, yeah, leftist media is all about, like, being anti-gun. But he's, like, talking about, oh, I need it to kill, like, rodents and stuff. And then it turns out he's, like kind of there to help them a little bit. So, yeah, it were really interesting uh, viewpoints being presented, presented, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you're right. Like, it's hard for me to accept that. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. it is interesting. It's just done so poorly. Yeah. Also, these characters, like, suck and the writing's bad. Yeah, so, yeah, you, you hated these main characters so far? I sure did, yeah. I hated the main <laughs> characters. How about you? <laughs> Yeah, they weren't buying any uh, affection from me at this point. I was uh, kind of perturbed by them. They, there was like a sense of arrogance around them, uh, like they didn't really understand the surrounding that they were in. They were kind of like just chasing this business opportunity. Um, I think they went overboard in showing like, yeah, the self-driving car in like this uh, area and like the sense of superiority that these guys had. Um, so yeah, I, I wasn't a big fan of them either. Sure. And perhaps we aren't supposed to be, right? If that's the right. commentary that the movie's trying to make. Sure. Yeah. That. that yeah. Yep. These guys not, might um, not be the best of guys. Yeah. So there's some ten- tension among the group now because they feel like, especially uh, Melody, is very paranoid. Like she feels like she caused this woman's death. Um. Because yeah, Richter gets on the ladder, pulls the flag down, shoves it into Dante's chest. Um. And then Dante is like frantically looking for the deed to this specific house, like. To make sure they they were in the right here, um, but what I didn't understand is the cops themselves were escorting this woman off yeah. her property, right? It's like, yeah, it's you up to the cops would... at this point, and they had kicked her out before, so yeah. Um, you think I, they'd that, be in that, the know, right? Yeah, right. They should be in the know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that didn't make sense to me. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite lines in this movie <laughs> was. Dante is like frantically looking through files and goes, some deeds took longer than others to process. <laughs> Just, I haven't seen the rest of this franchise, but I got to believe that's one of the most boring lines to be spoken <laughs> in the franchise, especially in such an urgent manner. <laughs> that's not something you say every day when you're <laughs> sitting on the toilet trying to take a shit. <laughs> some deeds take longer. Well, some <laughs> deeds take longer to process. Yeah. <laughs> My wife's knocking on the door. <laughs> Some deeds take longer than others to process. <laughs> uh, so appropriate. <laughs> so uh, this woman, Ginny, she dies in the police van on the way to the hospital. And the giant man boy in the back seat, who of course is Leatherface, uh, goes berserk. And he breaks the cop's arm who's back there with him. And it, this is a compound fracture, so his bone pops out of his skin, and then he stabs the cop in the throat with his own arm bone. Uh, the cop, in all the frantic hubbub, fires his gun, which kills the officer driving the car. 
and the card crashes into a tree. Ruth is injured but still alive, and there's a very tense scene here where she's in the front seat of the van trying to like call over the radio for help quietly while simultaneously watching Leatherface sawing off the face of his adopted mother, Jenny, and putting it on out in the field that they're crashed in. Yeah. Uh, Leatherface eventually stabs her in the stomach, leaving no survivors from this van crash except for him. What did you think of this whole thing? Uh, I enjoyed it, man. I, I thought this was a great, like, first kill uh, scene. Like, the, the gore with the bone breaking was awesome. Uh, the tense moment of her, like, in the car, like, freaking out because she's, like, in the, in the uh, trapped in, like, this cabin of the police vehicle. And she thinks, like, she like she doesn't see Leatherface and he's, like, right behind her. Uh, I, thought, I, thought, I thought it was, like, really well done. What, what about you? The I agree, of the man. Face I, as well. I thought it was tense and that kill was wild. That was cool. Yeah, really cool. And uh, cool to, like, hear the sounds while he's, like, sawing off the face and, like, putting it up to the sun. So visually also, like, pretty uh, neat, like some some cool visuals here. Yeah, the sound design in this movie was pretty good. And I didn't write down the actress's name, but whoever played Ruth was perhaps one of the stronger actors in this film. Yeah, it was a shame they got rid of her so early on. Yeah, yeah, that is a shame. But this was a cool scene. Mm-hmm. So meanwhile, back in town, Dante can't find the title. And Melody is torn up inside because she's received a text from Ruth that the woman has just died. Um, So they've got all these investors who have just been bussed in. They're trying to impress them and host this weird little block party slash auction thing. Um, (laughs) And Melody, finding out that Jenny is dead, is so upset that she takes her sister Lila and tries to leave. However, Richter has taken away their keys and won't give them back until they can prove that they got Jenny to leave her house lawfully. Again, he should be talking to the cops. Yeah. (laughs) And this is essentially like car theft. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Show me the deed and I'll give your keys back. Yeah. (laughs) So bizarre. Uh, What did you think of uh, Melody's reaction and, like, her acting uh, for the sequence? I was really confused by, like, why she was so, like, traumatized by this woman having, like, a cardiac arrest or whatever happened. Uh, Were you confused by that or am I I just a terrible person? I mean, (laughs) I think it's the latter. Okay. I think that Melody was just like, okay... I was acting all tough and shit, but I just threw a woman out of her house and gave her a heart attack and she died. Yeah. Like, it's understandable to be shaken by that, but it's such a contrast to the character that Melody has been so far. Like, yeah. She was like, show us the documents. Like, we own... She was so sassy about it, you know? Right, right. Yeah, it was it was really 180. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess like, it's interesting that she took on the blame because... She didn't necessarily throw her out. The cops came and like took her, and that's like when she had the heart attack or whatever. So I, I, I was surprised like that she felt like they directly had a role in her death. Um, I guess, I guess indirect, yeah. secondary, indirect. Yeah. Yeah, I get where she's coming from. Okay. Um, but yeah, the cops, the cops should have been, uh, should have been kind of on the hook for for who legally owned the property. Seriously, yeah. Um, or at least you know. I've gotten in touch with the lawyers or so, I don't know. Yeah. This was all just so weird. It's such a weird uh, point of conflict to put in this movie. I don't know. It was. Yeah. Um, so Melody and Dante enter the orphanage, I believe, to find some proof that Jenny was not the actual owner of the house. 
Um, and they stumble across the title to the house. Uh, again, confusing. I don't know that that would really prove she owns the house. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I wonder how titles work. <laughs> can you, can yeah, right. Like... I almost wanted to like look, think, like, do I have the title to my old house still? <laughs> yeah, or, like, <laughs> it could have been a copy. Like, if she really just wasn't paying the bank. Yeah. You know, it's not like they went in and went through all their stuff to find the title. Find I don't know. Maybe paper. they did. Yeah. And all the copies of it she might have made, they like, right. sure they got all that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how titles work either. I don't either. So if you're a, a real estate lawyer, you can get in touch with us. <laughs> uh, so anyway, Leatherface comes back to the orphanage and takes a pretty big slice out of Dante's face slash neck area and pursues Melody, who is hiding from him. She gets a chance to escape when Richter enters the room and tries to fight Leatherface, who breaks Richter's leg uh, such that it gets knocked into this bizarre angle and then crushes Richter's head into oblivion. Before the head crushing, however, Richter spots Melody hiding under the bed and pulls the keys out of his pocket so that Melody could escape. Melody grabs the keys, which are apparently both the bus keys and the car keys. Oh, wow. He had all of them. I okay. Uh, yeah, confusing. Yeah. Um, and runs out of the orphanage after an intense pursuit from Leatherface, during which a drain pipe gets sawed through, spilling shit onto her. <laughs> uh, what did you think of this whole action sequence here in the orphanage? Oh, I, I liked it, man. I, I thought it was, like, pretty tense and, like, how she's, like, trying to creep around and then suddenly, like, again, he, like, shows up right behind her and, like, sends her flying down the stairs and how he's, like, sawing the saw through the wooden floors at her. Uh, I liked it. I thought it was, like, pretty tense. What, what did you think? I agree. I agree. I enjoyed this whole orphanage sequence. Uh, very action-packed and tense and uh, scary. A little yeah. bit scary. Yeah, I agree. So, meanwhile, outside, um, one of the real estate people has found Dante dead and locked everybody in the bus without really telling all the investors and real estate people why. So, we've got a bunch of young entrepreneur entrepreneurs just cluelessly partying on this bus. Um, Melody and Lila board the bus for safety, and apparently nobody smells that Melody is covered in shit. <laughs> I know. I thought that would be a bigger <laughs> deal. <laughs> Uh, and of course, Leatherface enters the bus with a chainsaw and just annihilates everybody. And before he does that, we get a scene where uh, a few of the entrepreneurs are filming him with their phones. And one guy says, try anything, you get canceled, bro. <laughs> what do you think? You, you love that line? I actually, I saw people complaining about that on our server, but I thought it was pretty funny. No, you like that? <laughs> I uh, mean, just because it's like kind of feasible like all the other commentary was really shoved down our throats so i can understand thinking this one was too but uh yeah it's feasible yeah i mean i think this goes back to something we talked about in happy death day where i think this movie is making fun of uh these like young entrepreneurs or hipsters that are coming in taking over this town uh self you got the self-driving car um and their ideologies like the, you know someone calling them out in the beginning being like yeah you guys are basically a cult and then like here you're kind of like seeing their reaction to like they, they're faced with a mass murderer and they're just like oh we're gonna cancel you so kind of it's i feel like it's trolling this uh segment of the population really well uh did, did you get that impression at all yeah i agree it, it definitely is doing so yeah and yeah, I mean, try anything you get canceled, bro. It probably isn't realistic when someone's standing there with a skin mask and a chainsaw in their hand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But <laughs> I think at this point in the movie, the tone had changed. To me, there's a drastic tone shift in this movie. Mm -hmm. Like they're yeah. trying to do all this commentary type stuff. 
and maybe make this movie more significant than it is. And then it feels like at some point they're just like, you know what, fuck it, this is a Texas Chainsaw <laughs> Massacre movie. Yeah. Forget it all. Exactly, exactly. Which I, I was like thankful that they switched course here. Like, uh, I don't know how much more of that like intro vibe or atmosphere I could take. Did, did you feel the same way? Yes, I completely agree. I was very thankful they just kind of discarded all that. Yeah, yep. Uh, oh, you, you forgot uh, when they first get in the bus and they're trying to drive off, somehow he manages to stop the bus, right? Does he? Yeah, they get in the bus. They give hand over the keys. Like we got to get out of here. So the driver puts the keys in, accelerates. They start in the driveway. Then they hear a chainsaw outside, and somehow the bus like stops. So somehow this dude stopped a bus with his chainsaw. Oh, okay. He's basically Superman in this one. So I, th- I think so. I get it. He's he's stopping a lot of vehicles. <laughs> uh, but man, when he massacres all these people, it's pretty nuts. <laughs> this one lady's trying to climb out the window and he saws her body right in half and her torso falls out of the bus and we see her intestines like slowly sloughing off the windowsill after her torso. Yeah. And it's at this point in time that I'm realizing this is probably one of the goriest new movies I've seen in recent memory. It really is. Yeah. I can't think of uh, any other one that's come, come close to this like recently. Yeah. Um... Melody and Lila escape this uh, encounter, this little mini massacre on the bus, and they uh, come across Sally Hardesty, the final girl from the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre film, who we've been getting glimpses of throughout the movie. I think she was, uh, she went into law enforcement, I believe, and she's been kind of trying to hunt down Leatherface all these years and hasn't found him. Sally locks the girls in her car and enters the orphanage to confront Leatherface. She has him at gunpoint with a shotgun and does this whole spiel to him, like, do you remember me? Like, do you remember the pain you caused me and my friends? I'm the one that got away, and I'm here to make sure you don't. (laughs) And Leatherface just gets up and walks out (laughs) of the room. (laughs) Oh, man, this this was so disappointing, wasn't it? That was a pretty big whiff by Sally, make, saying she's going to make sure he doesn't get away and then lets him walk out of the room. At, like, gunpoint, he just walks away. <laughs> uh, this this character, I, I just, I wasn't on board with, like, so she's supposed to be the survivor from the first one. The idea that she would have survived that first encounter and then hung around that area as a sheriff all these years, hunting out this guy, um, holding, like, this vengeance out for him, just to, did, didn't make a lot of sense. That, did that add up to you? It did not add up. And she was, like, talking about how much she missed her friends and looking at a photo of them from that day. Like, yeah. would you comfort yourself with a photo of your friends from the worst day of your life? <laughs> the day they all died. <laughs> Get yeah. a different photo. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Maybe a They were trying, again, Halloween 2018 comparison. It felt really like they were trying to do the whole Jamie Lee Curtis thing. Yeah. Um, right. And it felt it felt forced. Oh, man. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, yeah, her actions here were just, like, so unbelievable. Yes. Yes. Very unbelievable. And we're meant to believe she's this badass, but she just makes so many stupid decisions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he goes out and attacks Lila and Melody in the car, but Sally finally comes out and shoots him. Uh, she gives Melody the keys to drive away while she goes after Leatherface with her shotgun. 
But Leatherface ultimately puts his chainsaw right through her abdomen, impaling her on it, and then tosses her aside like a rag doll, like 50 feet through the air. Mm-hmm. Um, Melody hits Leatherface with Sally's car before crashing into a nearby building, and Melody's trapped in the driver's seat and tells Lila to run, like, you've always been so strong, you'll be fine, you need to run away. Lila appears to run away, but then when Leatherface goes to attack Melody, Lila appears with a gun and tries to shoot him, but the gun's empty. Luckily, Sally is still alive and shoots Leatherface, and he retreats. And Sally's dying words to Lila are something about, don't run or you'll forever be haunted by him. Um, (laughs) And Lila... Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Were you amazed that like uh, she was like still alive after being chopped up by a <laughs> chainsaw and able like shoot a shotgun? Yeah, it, to be completely impaled by anything. Well, I can understand being alive for a while after being impaled, but by a chainsaw that's just like ravaging your insides <laughs> with a motorized <laughs> chain while it's inside of you. Yeah, that seems pretty uh, pretty extreme. Yeah, that was rough. That was a stretch. Um, so Lila takes Sally's shotgun and pursues Leatherface into an abandoned building where they have a bit of a back and forth. Uh, Leatherface has the upper hand, but Melody arrives, gets a hold of his chainsaw, and together the two of them, sisters Melody and Lila, finish him off. Uh, my favorite line of dialogue, which I think was actually good writing, happens here, and Melody asks Lila, are you okay? And Lila says no. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because this, this is like the first fair answer you get from any character in a horror movie who's just watched all of their friends die. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. And they're just it, like all better once they survive, even yeah, though they just exactly. experienced the worst thing they'll ever experience in the world. Right, exactly. Uh, and, and then like uh, she says no, but like Melody like smiles like, I don't know, I, I felt like that was like a bigger statement being made there and maybe a parallel to like what she had gone through with her school shooting, which they had referred to a few times. Right. So, yeah, get a powerful moment here. Yeah, boy. I can't believe they tried to cram in commentary on school shootings. <laughs> <laughs> gentrification. The Confederate flag, gentrification, yeah. social so media. Yeah, urban rural. Uh, Gen Z. Yeah, yeah. wild. <laughs> Every box they're trying to check. Everything. <laughs> yeah. Isolations, yeah. Um, so it's morning now, uh, the, and all seems well. And they are driving their Tesla out of town at about two miles per hour on (laughs) autopilot. Uh, But Leatherface emerges. He's still alive, and he drags Melody out of the car and decapitates her with his chainsaw. A horrified Lila watches. Uh, She sticks her head out of the sunroof because the car is driving itself. So she's staring backwards out the car, watching as Leatherface does his trademark chainsaw swirling dance, but this time he's also swinging Melody's head. Mm. Um, and a post credit scene shows Leatherface making his way to the house um, in the original film where the original massacre took place. I read that. I think I missed that, actually. But you, you saw that part? Yeah, I meant to text you to, to hang on, <laughs> but I forgot. Uh, okay, okay. But yeah, uh, you didn't miss anything. He's just walking towards the house. Walking towards the house. Okay, I can, I can imagine that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, close dude. your eyes and picture. It. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that that ending that that got me, man. That was that was crazy. How he just like shows up suddenly and grabs her and pulls her out the window. Yeah. Uh, part of me hated it and part of me liked it. Oh yeah. What, because what I feel like it, it just solidified it. 
the tone that it struck for the latter half of the movie where it was just like, fuck it, this is a silly, yeah. like, gross-out movie where everybody dies and you weren't really supposed to care about anybody in the first place. Right. But it's so uneven. That first half of the movie, maybe just first act, seems like the movie is taking itself seriously. Mm-hmm. But then the the rest of the movie almost wonders, makes me wonder if that whole beginning was like deliberately forced and awkward just to make you hate the characters and want them to die. <laughs> and want them to die. <laughs> so never throughout the whole movie were you like scared or worried about uh, the main characters? Like were you not like bought into them at all or uh, scared for them? You know, I wasn't wild about the main characters, but the action sequences and the horror sequences were done so effectively that I did care. I did care what happened and I wanted them to escape. Yeah, Um, yeah. Normally I only want the characters to die in a slasher if they're shitty characters that are poorly written and the movie itself just isn't that good. (laughs) So I'm like, yeah, sure, just I'm waiting for everyone to die. Right. Um, This movie was a good slasher, though. I thought every horror moment was done well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what did you think about that? I agree, man. When when the horror elements kicked in and he starts killing people, this becomes like a phenomenal uh, movie. Like every sequence was really well paced. The chainsaw looked awesome. I thought he was like the, the effects on him were awesome. And uh, the lighting and, and uh, cinematography behind it just really added. And the music like added like his scare factor. And he's like such an imposing figure. Like he's out there like just like cutting people down, bringing down buses, uh, cars left and right uh, and still like not saying anything and just being scary as fuck. Like, I mean, it, I thought that all worked really well as, as like a horror film. Uh, for the I second agree. Half. Yeah, I agree. And and to the people who thought this movie sucked and uh, if you watch it again ever, like keep an eye on the cinematography. I, I think that's a strong suit of the movie, man. And it, yeah, it um, it's not flashy, but we it really serves the the sequences man it, it makes those action sequences really pop and yeah it probably helps that um the director david blue garcia has a lot of experience in cinematography too like i can mm. tell there was a lot of thought put into that there were even a lot of like single frames that looked really good yeah yeah did you like um like even the first scene where we see him with this the leather face on and uh he's like in a field of some kind of uh field of plants or something but uh, did, did you like those those effects or like that shot or visual? Uh, yeah, sure. That part doesn't pop out to me um, in terms of cinematography. But but uh, yeah, there wasn't there weren't many moments that I thought looked bad. Yeah. Um, even though there moment there were moments that were bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Overall set design was was pretty good, and uh, I think like this empty town like was a great backdrop for where all this action took place. Agreed. Agreed. Um, and it's weird because I think this is a great slasher movie. I think it's a a better slasher because it totally discarded everything that it had set up in the beginning. Mm-hmm. It, it dropped all the commentary angles. It dropped any like forced drama between the characters. Yeah. But I also think that makes it a bad movie <laughs> because it did that. Like, like the inconsistency about it? The, yeah, yeah, it's so uneven. They set all this stuff up and never really came back to it or never made it mean anything. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I'm glad that they did because I wasn't enjoying that. Yeah, it's almost like the movie is uh, represented by that woman who's like cut in half with the torso. Like you have this really shitty upfront part, and then like the second half like breaks into this incredible like horror thriller uh, slasher film. Um, which yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm, I'm glad they moved away from that, but it is unfortunate. Like they don't really tie. The, like what, what was the point of building all that up or all that story up or all that like conflict up if uh, you're not gonna like acknowledge it at all towards uh, like yeah, once the second half kicks in. Right, right. And one thread that they do continuously weave through is the school shooting thread, but yeah. I don't think to any great effect or anything like that. Yeah, um, I was wondering about that because um, at the beginning, uh, Melody is talking about how, like, oh, you need me. Like, he, she says that to her sister who's been through the school shooting. But then at the end, I feel like that reverses and, like, um, they, like, I, I think she kind of realizes, like, oh, uh, I need you as well or something. So I, I feel like you could maybe say, like, there was some coming back to that theme at the end, right? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and I mean, they they position things at the beginning, like Melody's in the position of strength, mm-hmm. and Lila's the weak sister who needs her. Lila doesn't necessarily feel that way, but Melody does. And then Melody kind of admits at the end, yeah, you, you're, the, you're the strongest person I know. Yeah, um, right, right. So yeah, that's true. That does come around. Um, yeah. It is weird that you have like 10 things thrown at you in the beginning and like that's like the one thing that maybe they remember to bring back at the end. Yeah, you know, I think the school shooting angle would have been less uh, ham-fisted had they not tried to cram a bunch of other commentary down our throats too. Yeah, like just pick one. You don't need all the other ones. Yeah, yeah, just tidy that up a bit. Yeah. Uh, Um, Why do you think so many people hated this movie? Is it that commentary (laughs) and the... And the characters. Oh, man. Yeah, I haven't read a lot of the reviews, but uh, that's that's what I imagine. I, I think it's, like, probably the, the scripting, uh, probably not, like, additive to, like, the original sequel. I mean, it, it never is. You can never, like, uh, live up to the original. Um, maybe maybe uh, cracks against the acting. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, mean, I would say the, yeah. uh, Sarah Yarkin, who played Melody, I thought was especially kind of weak. Right? Yeah. Yeah, she's... I'm just calling out actors every episode, man. I know, <laughs> brutal, just taking people down. <laughs> I don't know why I'm such a dick lately. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know who else sucks? Yeah, who? You. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just I'm just being mean, Brian. Sure. <laughs> just keeping the flow going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm leaning into this. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, her acting was terrible. I, and it's funny because, yeah, we, we just talked about that in Scream, how the main character there was, wasn't was a great actor. But, yeah, I felt the same here. Like, I, I didn't feel like she was did a great job. And, again, like, I, I don't know uh, if it was dialogue-related because um, she does kind of, like, flip her whole character around really quickly without much uh, um, explanation versus, like, right. the actual acting. I, I, I never know where to put the blame. What do you think of tying the ending? Do you think the ending was kind of a tieback to, at the end of the original, Sally yeah. Hardesty is in the back of a truck, kind of like hitchhiking, fleeing the scene of, of, uh, of the massacre and of Leatherface, and she's like looking backwards, crying. Yeah. And the, this autopilot feature is so cheesy, but it allows the film to do the same thing, where yeah. Lila is looking backwards out of a car. And still allows her to be the only survivor. No, no one needs to be driving. Right, um, right. That was yeah. like kind of a cool angle because 
it gives you that same scene while still having her be the only survivor and like the only witness of what even happened here. Yeah. Yep. Um, but it's a little silly with this car going so damn slow. <laughs> so slow, yeah. No, I, and there I, was I, some I, sort of slow motion going on there, too, that just looked really crappy. That was sure. the one thing in the movie that I thought visually looked bad. Oh, you thought that looked bad? Oh, okay. I thought that was really cool because, yeah, it was a direct uh, play on the original, um, but, like, brought into modern times where you have this, like, car that's driving by itself, and you still get, like, that signature move. Isn't it funny that these movies end with uh, the same dance? Uh, is that just like a dance you think like a routine he's come up with every time like uh, a victim's getting away he just like does this dance where he spins the chainsaw around in the air it is odd that like as a horror community we've come to really have a lot of affection for this dance yeah he's he's doing it it. (laughs) he's doing the leather face (laughs) I picture him like alone in his little upstairs apartment in the orphanage with like footprints that he's painted on the floor doing like his (laughs) just the routine practicing practicing yeah I think so it works I I like it I I, I thought that that was a beautiful uh, ending though but you, you thought it looked bad yeah, I have no complaints about the dance. I think that is an iconic moment in the ending of the first one. I'm not, I'm not shitting on uh, that. People being a fan of that that uh, gif, even too, where you just see Leatherface doing it. Is, it is a cool moment in horror. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't mind the ending. I just, I hated the slow motion shot of her driving away. Oh, okay, uh, okay. It looked cheesy. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Um, I also, you were talking about the woman like being cut in half was symbolic of the whole, the movie as a whole. I wondered the same thing about a moment between Lila and Richter where she's like, so why are you such a nihilist? And he's like, I'm not a nihilist. I'm I'm a Texan. I don't like being told what to do. (laughs) And this movie just kind of like skews all the rules and everything that's expected of it. Yeah. And it is kind of a nihilistic movie but at the same time it's just like whatever and kind of fun yeah yeah exactly do you think it, like it's a self-aware movie like it knows it's kind of making uh, a joke at, like uh is, is it like supposed to be a satire up front <sighs> that's a good question man i don't know to what degree it is a sat like i think it's satirizing that generation mm-hmm. but i also don't know if it's kind of like making fun of itself and self-aware of itself. Um, I hope it is, but I'm not sure. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, I, I couldn't get a clear vibe uh, on it either, but um, that de- definitely felt like it was making some digs in, in the front end against uh, that generation or that group, that segment of people. Yeah. What do you think of Sally's reappearance? Oh, man, so bad. That was that was a, a big downhill for me. Like, yeah, her character didn't make sense that she would have stuck around there. And then she comes back and, like, her actions, like, just don't add up. She's really, like, irrational in terms of, like, just letting him, like, kind of walk away. And, like, how she traps the kids in the car. Like, none of that made any sense to me. What, what about you? I agree. I agree. She makes bad choices. She's not that believable. She seems like a carbon copy of Laurie Strode in Halloween 2018. Right. And, uh... It kind of sounds like a broken record here um, between this and our last episode, but I feel like it drags Sally's legacy through the mud a bit, like mm. her legacy as a final girl. Like, yeah. I don't think you can really go back in time and ruin um, what took place in the first movie, but it's just like, oh, the franchise would have been better if that was if that was that for for Sally Hardesty, you know? Right. Um, and again, yeah. I'm I'm speaking. 
starting to learn my lesson that I, I really can't speak on a franchise until I've seen every movie because there's some surprising things that happen. Uh, surprising things that happen in the uh, lesser known movies within franchises sometimes. But oh, do you know if if Sally has been brought back in any of the other films? I don't. I don't. But I, I'm I'm saying that to cover my ass to say okay. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> nice footnoting. I'm trying one. to make my way through the Hellraiser franchise right now, and I'm already seeing some things where I'm like. I probably would have um, pursued our discussion on that movie a little bit differently had I seen some of this stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sure. So, yeah, sure. just covering my ass, hedging my bets. But, yep. I, yeah, I do think it it almost did a little bit of a disservice to the character of Sally Hardesty. Yeah, they really didn't need to bring her back, and uh, I, th- I thought that was really strange. Uh, How many times did somebody notify the cops in this movie only to have them never show up? (laughs) Like, I'm pretty sure the lady on the bus called the cops. Yeah. Uh, Ruth, like, radioed into the cops. And the cops should be aware that they have two officers who never, who are MIA. Yeah, right, right. But there are no cops on the scene all for, like, basically 24 hours. Well, isn't Sally, like, the sheriff? I don't think she is the sheriff of that town. I, I feel oh. like my impression was that she was kind of like retired from law enforcement. Oh, okay, okay. I see. Um, but I'm not totally sure. Maybe you're right. That would explain some things. Yeah, no, yeah. Co- cops are missing here. And it might be that uh, because this like is an empty, abandoned town, no one's paying taxes, so there aren't like police that are showing up or something. But yeah, that, that was a big uh, plot hole uh, as well. Yeah. Um, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, local law enforcement may be stretched thin elsewhere in more populated areas, but yeah, yeah, even so, it's surprising. Yep. Did you feel like it got repetitive? How many times you had someone trapped in a car or a car like crashed, and Leatherface is like attacking someone in a car? Like I that... didn't notice that, but we got uh, the bus. Like a... Yeah, the bus, the first kill was the police van. Second, oh. uh, you had them crash Sally's uh, truck. Like, every every time, like, someone got into a car or some kind of moving vehicle, it would, like, immediately crash, and Leatherface would, like, have the advantage to, like, attack someone who's trapped in that vehicle. Right, that... and then the ending, too, where he pulls someone out of a moving vehicle. Yeah, you're <laughs> right. That's wild. Yeah, vehicles weren't the place to be for this film. <laughs> no. <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, there were times where it got a little bit repetitive, where people were just like running in and out of buildings, and I, it was almost unclear to me like, what's the real goal here? Yeah, right. Yeah, but I, I think that that worked uh, to a lot of the scenes' advantages because the movie seemed to play on this idea of like Leatherface being this huge person going after people who are like trapped in small places, and it kind of like adds to like this uh, inescapability of it. So I, I thought it used like the space pretty well. Yeah, sure, right? Somebody hides in a... Someone's kind of in a small f- space and he's just crashing through it, whether it's yeah. the crawl space of a house or a car or... Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Hey, did you understand... So when Leatherface's... Uh, when that woman, Jenny, dies, or... Uh, is that her name? Jenny? Jeannie? Jenny is the older woman. Yeah. Played by Alice Creech, yeah. When she dies, she tells Leatherface, don't go into my room. Uh, he goes back to the house, goes into the room, breaks a wall down, and finds a chainsaw. Is that what happened? <laughs> yeah, I don't know why she would have stored his chainsaw within the walls of the house. Inside uh, of a wall. I would go ahead and sell that on Craigslist. <laughs> yeah, that, that part confused me. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot logically. I'm sure some listeners might even pull out other holes in the logic that we aren't catching or not mentioning. Yeah, It's not a well-written movie. 
it's not the best story. And the first act sucks, but boy, mm-hmm. I thought as a slasher movie, it was pretty great. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Like, if you start this movie at, like, minute 40 or something and watch it, it's it's pretty amazing. Right, right. That's probably the best best way to pursue this. <laughs> yeah. You could, like, catch it on a movie channel, like, halfway through. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, um, one way I thought they could have brought back the gentrification theme that, like, they led with so strong... Um, is maybe like a Hills Have Eyes type of version where uh, you have a bunch of townspeople, which I, I liked about the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre is it wasn't just him on his own. He had a family. He had like uh, people, I think, at a gas station that were like in, in on it. There was like a whole system to like kind of uh, attack these victims, right? In the first one? Mm-hmm, yeah. Whereas this one is just like this one dude who's pissed off about this woman dying. It would have been cool if they had brought back that element of like a town that's like behind this dude that's like getting revenge on or, or, or attacking. I mean, did did you miss that aspect at all? Yeah, it's almost like it would have been cool if they all kind of gathered around and said something like "evil dies tonight" or something. <laughs> yeah, like like chanted it in a room together. Yeah. yeah, I mean that can't that can't miss. Yeah, yeah, that always works. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I, I I guess I understand what you mean, but I'm kind of cool with the one man army thing. Yeah, I mean, so much of like the first one was like his family was really creepy, and uh, that was, was like, the scariest part of the first one, really. Yeah, yeah. You don't you don't think this could have like I, I love that this was like so focused on one guy. It really made it like feel like a slasher. Him just going around like knocking people down, but. Um, no part of you like wanting to see more of like a atmosphere, like a uh, a support system behind him. <laughs> a support system. Yeah, everyone needs <laughs> behind every vil- great villain. There's a great network of caring, <laughs> loving psychopaths. Exactly. Generations of people who care for them. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess there's a movie where that could have worked. Um, you know, the remake, the 2003 remake, was uh, that had a. a antagonist who was not Leatherface that was also very creepy in his own right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think at a certain point in a franchise, the villain becomes, I mean, he's hes the, what people are paying to see, you know? So sure. I don't know. I kind of like that this movie went a little cheap, uh, cheap thrills yeah. on us, you know? Yeah. And knowing that you know, I had Evil Dead in my mind, the 2013 remake, seeing Fede Alvarez's name on this. Mm-hmm. And it didn't disappoint w- w- on that aspect of things. I think of Evil Dead as a really dark, nihilistic, gory, gnarly movie. And that's what this was to me. It wasn't yeah. nearly as good as that movie. Sure. Um, yeah. But it, it didn't disappoint. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I was, I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Um, well, let's see. Zero to five miles per hour driven while fleeing a massacre. What do you give this? Uh, sorry, can, can you say the, the rank uh, scale one more time? It's a weird scale. Zero to five miles per hour driven while you're fleeing the site of a massacre. Because <laughs> you can't go faster than five. Yeah, exactly. It's all traffic. Uh, I'm going to go with three and a half uh, miles per hour being driven as you're fleeing a massacre. Just for all the things we mentioned, first half was terrible. Uh, second half, though, really kicked it in gear and got a lot of fun. also want to call it, like, I, th- I thought the music sound design was, like, so good. Cinematography was great. And, uh, yeah, the second half of this movie played out really well. Loved, like, the last surprise they threw in and uh, thought visually this is, like, pretty compelling. Uh, what about you? I agree with you, man. And, um... 
I'm pretty sure this is three episodes in a row where our ratings were identical. Damn. <laughs> so I'm three and a half out of five as well. Yeah, I mean, the first act sucks. I, 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 everyone who hates this movie and talks about all that stuff sucking, I totally agree with you. But yeah. it just totally ditched that stuff and, and turned around and just became a bit of a tour de force in terms of horror to me. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I would echo what you said, man. The, the cinematography and the score really shined and like just everything worked together seamlessly to make these action sequences great. I thought, I thought they were directed well, too. So um, I think the script is the weakest uh, thing about this movie. But I would like to see more from David Blue Garcia. Uh, I didn't get the name of the cinematographer, but great job. <laughs> and I love these Colin Stetson scores, man. That makes me want to go back and watch Color Out of Space even more now. Yeah, yeah. Also check out his album. Uh, whichever one you have, let, let me know about it. Yeah, I will. Oh, man. What is it called? It's called New History Warfare Volume 2 Judges. <laughs> 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 all right i'll that's, check that out yeah yeah, yeah that's almost as uh, long and convoluted as my rating scale <laughs> awesome I'll, yeah i'll check him out i loved his work in this one all right cool well we're in agreement three and a half out of five anything else on this before we wrap up who do you think would win an arm wrestle between leatherface and michael myers just an arm wrestle yeah just a straight clean arm wrestle leatherface strikes me as the most strong but Michael Myers has this like ghost strength where he's not necessarily hulking but he can just lift anybody up into the air um, <laughs> if we're talking this version of Leatherface from this movie then Leatherface I think so too I think he's like a huge dude right yeah he was basically like super shredder in this yeah yeah okay all right. Yeah, I, I, I thought that was uh, he was really well done in this one. Pretty menacing and uh, huge figure. Yeah. All right. That's all uh, I got. Cool. Cool. Good question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right, everybody. That has been our discussion on Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2022. If you enjoyed it, uh, please give us a five star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you want to connect with us, you can go to horrormovieclub.com and click on the social links drop down where you will find links to our Facebook and Twitter. Facebook and Twitter is where we announce what movie we're covering next week. You can also find a link to our Discord server where we're hanging out and talking with other horror fans and podcast fans. Always great conversation going on in there every day, so I highly encourage you to go there and chat with people. Um, if you want to just reach out to us directly, there's a contact, contact form on horrormovieclub.com. There's also a big orange button that says Patreon. You can click on that and pay a dollar a month to access some bonus content from us. Uh, if you want some swag, you can go to Etsy.com and search Horror Movie Club Coasters, and that will take you to a cool coaster set that our friend Amy made from Amy May Pop Art. She also did our logo art and has other great horror art on her Etsy page. And until next time, if you're fleeing the scene of a chainsaw massacre, don't be afraid to uh, put your foot on the gas a little bit, and don't forget to check your mirrors. <laughs> Let's check that side mirror. Let's see what's going on. Exactly. Objects may be closer than they appear. They must not be teaching Gen Z that rule. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>